in weakness. Power in weakness. Power referring to God's power and weakness referring to the weakness of man. And it's a very significant theme as I feel that it's the theme that really underlines the message of the gospel itself. God being manifest in the flesh. Almighty God, all-powerful, eternal, becoming a weak man. Weak fleshly man. And in Chapter 13, verse 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul said that Christ was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. And he goes on to say that we also are weak in him, but we shall also live by his power. And this thing really also highlights what I call the marks of what is authentic Christian ministry. When it comes to Christian ministry, there's that which is authentic, and there's that which is counterfeit. There's ministry which is ordained of God, and that which is not ordained of God. There's the one true gospel of God, and then there are false gospels which are not of God. And then if you look at pastors and teachers, there are those which are ordained of God, and those which are not ordained of God. Back in Paul's day, when the foundation for the church was being laid, there were true apostles, the Twelve and the Apostle Paul, who were chosen by Jesus Christ himself to lay the foundation of the church, to teach and proclaim the true gospel. But there were those, also those apostles who were false, who would seek to corrupt the gospel and the church. And of course, this wasn't unique to Paul's day. We know there are many today Teachers and pastors claiming to be chosen by God, but they're clearly not chosen by him. They're self-appointed teachers. And um, there's also people claiming to be apostles today, saying that they were chosen by God, especially commissioned by him, when really they fall clearly, clearly short of the biblical criteria for a teacher, a pastor, or an apostle. Self-deceived and deceiving many who listen to them. And sadly... It seems that those who are false seem to be in the majority this day. I might be wrong about that, but it certainly seems that way, certainly in this part of the world. The true Christians, the true gospel is in the minority. We're truly living in the time when, as Paul said to Timothy, that many will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears for that which is not true. But though it's easy for us to look at false teaching as something that's out there while we're safe in here, the Bible does tell us to look to ourselves because we can still be influenced by false teaching and teachers. It can affect the way we think, our attitude towards God, towards his word, towards ministry in particular. And this is what was happening to the Christians in Corinth. Though this church in Corinth was founded by the Apostle Paul on his authority, they were, the Christians there now were being influenced by false apostles. And Paul's purpose in writing this epistle is to really combat the teaching of these false apostles and their influence on the church. And he does this by defending his genuine God-ordained apostleship and his authentic God-ordained ministry. The ministry of Paul as a true minister of God was in complete contrast to the ministry of the false apostles seeking to establish their own authority 
they tried to discredit the Apostle Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ by attacking his ministry style and the marks which accompanied his ministry. Things such as suffering, enduring hardships, tribulation, poverty, humility, and weakness. And they insinuated that these were evidences that Paul was not a genuine minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. But throughout this epistle, Paul shows that he in fact, bear, in fact bears these marks as evidence of an authentic Christian ministry. So we're just going to look at a few verses. We'll start in chapter 1, looking at verses 8 and 9. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. So in these verses, Paul recalls some times of severe troubles which he experienced in the province of Asia. Now we're not told exactly what these troubles were, although there is one event recorded in the book of Acts where he faced persecution in Ephesus. Paul says that this, this trouble, along with other troubles they experienced, they were so severe, he's pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that he despaired even of life. Paul experienced such hardships that he could not physically endure them in his own strength. They were beyond him. He literally couldn't cope with them. And I'm sure... Many of us this evening have come to a similar place such as that, where we feel like we just can't take any more. Life is throwing things at us that we just can't cope with. And we say things like, Lord, I can't cope with this trial. Lord, I can't cope with this loss. I can't endure this temptation. I can't do this task. I can't do it, Lord. And the thing is, when we say that, we're actually right to say that. We can't do it, and that's the whole point. Only God can do it. Only Christ can live the Christian life. In verse 9, Paul says he reached the point where he had pronounced death on himself. He said, that's it. I'm done. I'm finished. I can't go on. And why did he come to this place? Was it because God wasn't with him? Had God abandoned him? Quite the opposite. God was, in fact, working in Paul's life. And he allowed such suffering and tribulation to occur to the extent that Paul could not rely on any physical, mental, or emotional strength of his own. He had nothing or no one to trust in, except God alone. The trials that Paul faced, they enabled him to be in complete dependence on the Lord, which is exactly where he needed to be. And it's exactly where you and I need to be. This is absolutely essential for a Christian life, and for Christian ministry. God uses the weak and the humble to accomplish his work. Why does he do that? So that he and he alone gets the glory. So contrary to what the false, the self-appointed apostle was saying, they who relied on themselves, trusting in their own strength, their own abilities as great leaders and powerful speakers, slandering the apostle Paul for appearing so weak and pathetic, claiming that God was not blessing him due to all the trouble that he faced. God allowed Paul to endure much suffering so that he could work mightily through his weakness. God brings us to the end of ourselves 
so that he can glorify himself in the work he does. He's the only one who can accomplish his purposes, so he alone is worthy of the glory. Go to another passage. We flip over the page to chapter 4. Good look, uh, look in verses 7 to 10. Chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. Paul writes, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So looking at verse 7 in this passage, Paul uses the illustration of what's called earthen vessels, which is basically clay pots. These were cheap, fragile containers used in Paul's day for storing and transporting various items such as money, jewellery, documents, and sometimes family treasures. And Paul's using this to illustrate what we as Christians are. We are the weak, fragile vessels, yet within us we carry this invaluable, glorious treasure, and that is the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as these weak, breakable, replaceable clay pots carried something valuable within them, we in our weak, frail bodies carry the infinitely valuable treasure of the word of God, Christ in us, the hope of glory, dwelling within us by his Holy Spirit. And by his Spirit, the Lord Jesus manifests his strength in our weakness. His power transcends our weak, mortal bodies. And through our sufferings, the Lord Jesus is put on display. The false teachers were claiming that the sufferings Paul faced, that they were proof that God was not with him. Whereas Paul makes it clear that his sufferings demonstrated that God was with him, working in him and through him. Verse 10, where Paul is referring to bearing about the dying of the Lord Jesus. Paul understood that when he was being persecuted, it wasn't actually him that was being persecuted. The Lord Jesus himself was persecuted, suffering to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And he told his disciples, the night he was betrayed, that if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And of course, Paul had personal experience of this, didn't he? He himself, when he was named Saul, before he became Paul, once persecuted Christians, breathing threats against them, seeking them out to throw them into prison, even consenting to their death, until he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And when he asked who he was, the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. So just as he realized that in persecuting Christians, it was actually the Lord Jesus himself he was persecuting, he now knows that when he is being persecuted, it's the Lord Jesus who is being persecuted, not himself. Paul's sufferings, they were an indication that the Lord... Paul, sorry, um, Paul's sufferings were not an indication that the Lord wasn't with him, but they were in fact evidence that he was an authentic Christian minister. Persecution is one of the authentication marks of the true Christian. As Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
So Christ was the reason for Paul's suffering, but he was also the source of his strength and power in that suffering. Next, we're going to look in chapter 6. Just flip over the page. We're going to read verses 3 to 10. Chapter 6, verses 3 to 10. Paul says, Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the arm of righteousness on the left hand, on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. So here Paul further lists the marks of authentic Christian ministry. And again, completely contrary to what the false apostles were saying about him, who were claiming that they were superior to the apostle Paul, they said that he was not an apostle. And on what basis did they make such claims? They said, well, look how weak he is. Look how much he suffers. How can someone like him be a true apostle of Christ? Where's his outward success? Where's all his wealth? Why is he powerful and popular like we are? See, these false apostles believed and taught that the life of a true minister of God is characterized by success and material blessings. And of course, these teachings, which are present in the early church, are rampant today. There's many extremely popular, successful, wealthy teachers saying similar things, saying it's all about health, all about wealth, all about success. And these men, as Paul, as Paul describes them in chapter 11, verses 13 to 15, he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself tra- is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And the key words that Paul says here, they're, they're transforming themselves. You're either appointed by God to minister, or you're appointed by man. If you're appointed by God, if you're chosen by him, your ministry will glorify God. But if you're appointed by man, if you're self-appointed, your ministry will inevitably point to and glorify man. And the man-centered gospel, it scorns trials and suffering. But Paul teaches in this passage that an authentic Christian ministry is characterized by trials and suffering, which of course leads to holiness. The Lord Jesus is glorified as he takes us through trials, verses 4 to 5, in patience, afflictions, necessities, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, and fastings. And as he takes us through such trials, the Lord produces holiness and the fruit of the Spirit within us, thus magnifying the power of God in our weak bodies, verses 6 to 7, by pureness, by knowledge, long-suffering, kindness, 
by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armour of righteousness. And it's through this gospel ministry that the Lord makes people not physically wealthy, but truly wealthy, spiritually wealthy. The Lord Jesus is not merely an end to gain riches on earth, as many would say, but to gain him is to gain the riches and treasures of heaven. When we come to the end of ourselves, Jesus becomes our riches. He becomes our treasure. And there's none, none riches, no possessions, there's nothing comparable to him. He is our greatest riches and our greatest treasure. Finally, one more passage we'll look at. Go to chapter 12. Chapter 12, we're looking at verses 1 to 4. Paul writes, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So here, Paul further defends his apostleship by reluctantly boasting in a unique revelation he received when he was caught up to the third heaven. Now what's key here, and as Paul recounts this experience he had, is that he's not looking to glorify himself in this account. Rather, he's combating the false teacher's claims of supposedly having visions and revelations. And again, another claim all too common today. Men tell of supposed, supposed visions and experiences they have where they go to heaven itself. They see their family and their loved ones, even see the Lord himself. They get given these special tasks that only they can achieve. And when you consider such accounts, you'll find that they always glorify man, usually the one who supposedly received the vision. And they boast, they tell all about it, they write books about their experiences, make money, gain popularity. And yet what's Paul's response? He says he heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So men have these supposed visions, they can't stop talking about it. Whereas Paul closes his mouth. He says like, he, doesn't even, he doesn't even want to tell about his, his um, experience being caught up to heaven. He's doing it to counter false claims and to establish his apostolic ministry. And what does Paul get following this revelation? More suffering. Verse 7, he says, I, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations... There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And of course this leads us to the key verse, which I'm sure is a very well-known verse to us, which perfectly summarizes the theme of this epistle. Verse 8, Paul says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, man cannot do the will of God in his own strength. The Christian life is not about our performance. It's about submitting ourselves to the Lord, trusting in him, in his strength. It's about his performance. It's about what he is able to do in us and through us. And God allows such suffering in the lives of his workers in order to humble them and cause them to rely on him and only him. The false teachers in Paul's day, the self-proclaimed apostles, boasted in their amazing abilities, their outward success, and supposed visions of the Lord. Paul demonstrates that these visions, like the rest of their teachings, were completely false. How do we know that they were false? Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He uses the humble and the meek. He allows suffering and trials to keep us humble and meek. His power manifests in our weakness. So as we go through life, we find our bodies growing weaker. Maybe our minds grow weaker. Life gets harder instead of easier. The devil, the world, even our own hearts will tell us that God has forsaken us, that he's not at work in our lives. We can have this mindset, especially in this part of the world. If things are going well for us, life is calm, things are going so smoothly, we feel like we're in a place of blessing. And then when things are hard, or we look at Christians who are going through hardships, we say, well, God is not blessing them. But the opposite is true. Weakness is not a hindrance to the Christian life. It's not fatal to Christian ministry. It is essential. So what should our attitude be to our weaknesses and to those things that make us weak? We should say with the Apostle Paul, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Amen.